Well, good morning once again. Uh, my name is Wes Holmes, one of the pastors here. It's a delight and privilege to be worshiping with you all this morning and in continuing our sermon series through the book of Luke, which we just started. In fact, we are still in Luke chapter 1, but we'll be finishing up the chapter this morning as we look at Luke 1, starting in verse 57 to the end of the chapter, uh, verse 80. It's a long chapter. Um, but Luke 1 57 to 80. If you'd like to turn with me to that passage, uh, you can read along with me or follow along on the screen above. Uh, Let's give ear to the word of the Lord. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. And redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace." And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you speak to us, Lord, ancient words ever true, and we pray, O Lord, that your spirit would accompany your word preached this morning, that it would change us, that it would remind us that it would lift our hearts to you, O Lord, to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so we pray, Lord, that you'd be with us and you'd impact our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. It took 430 years, 430 years for God to do something 430 years before the people of Israel could be free from the Egyptians and make a home 
in the promised land. We can only imagine what happened during that time. Generations were born and died. Pharaohs came and went. Monuments were built and raised. Wars were fought. Israel was enslaved. Where was God? He seemed not to care. Where were his promises now? It wasn't until a distressed Hebrew mother hid her baby boy and sent him on a cruise down the Nile that God began to fulfill his promise. No one thought this desperate effort would come to anything until the baby grew. He left Egypt in shame, and then he happened upon a strange-looking bush. Only then did someone begin to know what God was going to do. He was going to redeem his people and bring them into their own land, just as he had promised after 430 years. Our passage this morning in Luke 1 also tells a story of God's promises. A baby is born, but he isn't the main event. He's kind of like Moses in that he points to the one who will be the true deliverer of God's people. This baby boy will prepare the way for God's people to see the salvation of the Lord after years of wondering if God had forsaken them. Because you see, Israel in this time was in a similar place. They hadn't heard from God for 400 years, and they were wondering, what is he doing? Where are his promises? Could it still be true that God is with us? Three points are going to shape our venture into our text this morning. And the first one is the promised birth. The second, the promised mercy. And third, the promised Savior. So birth, mercy, and Savior. And what I want us to take away from this message is that God keeps his promises. He remembers them. But he keeps them in unexpected ways. (laughs) God remembers his promises, but he keeps them in unexpected ways. And so our first point, the promise of birth. Zechariah was waiting. He was waiting. He had seen, if you remember, if you were here earlier, the vision of the angel in the temple. He had received this message about a child who would be born to him and Elizabeth in their old age by a miracle. He had doubted the word of the Lord Um, and had been made unable to speak. That's why he was given the the writing tablet in our passage. So at least nine months later, his wife actually does give birth to a son. And what was once his doubt is now his sight. All that the angel had said, all that God had spoke to Zechariah came to fruition. He saw God's faithfulness to keep his promise, even as he gazed at his newborn child And he writes, his name is John. Here's Zechariah and Elizabeth's friends and relatives all rejoicing with them at the birth of this child, just as the angel had said. Everyone sensed that there was something special about this child, that the Lord's hand was with him. Surely he would do great things, just as the angel had said. 
Zechariah's tongue was set free, just as the angel has said. And I'm sure he was quite relieved. (laughs) Initially, Zechariah didn't believe the angel's birth announcement. But now his unbelief has turned into joy as he sees the happiness on his wife's face and holds his miracle child in his arms. Are you hearing the point? Everything happened exactly as God had promised through the angel. Zechariah thought it was impossible. And it took a miracle to get there. (laughs) But God made it happen. And remember, all these things really seem to come out of the blue. I mean, certainly Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't expecting this. It had been 400 years since God last spoke to his people. But God's timing isn't like our timing. You and I live in an age of instant gratification. I mean, for me, if the web page takes more than three seconds to load, I'm, I'm wondering if I need better Wi-Fi. God's ways aren't like our ways. When he fulfills his promises, he sends a baby. I mean, if I was getting ready to deliver people from their most vile enemies, I wouldn't send a baby. (laughs) Bring in the heavy artillery, right? We, (laughs) We may not understand the why, the what, or the how long, but God always keeps his word. And that brings us to our second point, the promised mercy. Zechariah's heart, being filled with joy, having seen God's faithfulness right before his eyes, after nine months of silence, he can finally speak. And the very first thing he does with his recovered ability is to burst out with this exuberant, prophetic word of praise. And he begins by saying, verse 68, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. God has come to his people. It's amazing, because God seemingly hadn't been around for the past 400 years. Surely the people felt abandoned, like they were left to their own devices. Maybe they felt a bit like orphans. They believed that they needed to kind of make their own way in the world and take things up for themselves. Did God forget them? But here's Zechariah exclaiming, God is with us. But what does that mean? How will he redeem us? There's still so many questions And interestingly, Zechariah's words don't really focus on the how. (laughs) They instead focus more on the who. In verses 72 and 73, he speaks of God's promise to his fathers, specifically to Abraham. This was God's covenant, his oath that he swore back in Genesis. And if you recall, God's God, what he promised to Abraham was that his descendants would be more than all the stars of the heavens, more than all the sand on the shore. God's covenant with Abraham was that he would give him a land that his people could fill and dwell in forever. God's oath to Abraham was that blessing 
would come to the whole world through his offspring. Zechariah knows that his child will somehow be a part of God keeping his promises. Not just for him and Elizabeth, though, but for all of God's people throughout time. Everyone who have been waiting centuries, millennia, to see God fulfill his promised mercy to Abraham. The expectation was, as Zechariah says in verse 74, that Israel would be rescued from their enemies, able to serve God without fear. But what would that look like? The people are wondering. Is it going to be a leader like, like Moses to, to come set us free from the tyranny of Rome? Will it be a king like David to fight our battles for us and to defeat our political enemies all around? The expectations of how God was going to keep his promise were all over the map, <laughs> and most of them were just plain wrong. God was going to do something new in Zechariah's day. He was showing mercy to his people. But it wouldn't be in the way that many of them were hoping. What about us? What about you this morning? Are we living in a time of God's mercy? I mean, should we really expect God to be kind and merciful and remember us today? Are we supposed to believe that God is merciful even now? How can we? <laughs> but how can we? How can we when there's so many things in our lives that seem to tell us the exact opposite of that? The challenge we face when we begin to believe that God is merciful and that he keeps his promises is that we have our own ideas of what his mercy should look like. And we usually like the kind of mercy that addresses our immediate needs, right? Instant gratification. <laughs> and I know I can fall into the trap of thinking that God isn't granting me immediate relief, therefore he must not be merciful. He must not be faithful. And it's a trap, friends. It's a trap because we get so stuck in our own understanding of what God should be doing that we end up standing in judgment over him. We wouldn't say it, but we often think that we know better than the all-knowing, all-wise God of the universe. It was a couple weeks ago, my daughter Zoe and I uh, went to the park for a special daddy-daughter time. She's two, and she loved riding her scooter. She loved being pushed on the swings and even trying a Strider bike for the first time. And a couple days later, she said, I want special daddy time again. And I said, yeah, we'll, we'll do that again. Yes, for sure, that was fun, huh? And then she said, do it right now? <laughs> it was 7 p.m. And I said, no, no, not today. And then I saw her face fall. And she was on the border of a tantrum. <laughs> and I told, I told her, we'll do it another day, Zoe. Another day, okay? 
Now, Zoe knows that I love her, and she didn't want to wait. Uh, she likely believes that I'll take her to the park again, but it's hard to not get what you want right away. And it's just as easy to fall into that trap with God. But unlike earthly parents, God is a perfectly good and wise father. He never forgets his promise to us. His word is his bond. Now, hopefully I'll remember my promise to Zoe, but <laughs> got to keep it in there. Friends, I want to ask you, can you relate? How do you relate to God's promise of mercy? Are you looking for immediate answers? What happens when you don't get what you feel like you need right away? Are you overcome with doubt or grief? Do you turn away from God? Say, no, you're not merciful. I think at the end of the day, we're all like little children. Adults were just better at hiding it, right? But God is still merciful. He's not suddenly going to change his mind just because you're wrestling with him, just because you're asking questions, just because you're wondering where he is or what he's doing. God keeps his promises always. We only need to be patient and wait for the unexpected ways that he will keep his word. Remember the ways you've already seen God's mercy in your life. Don't forget. What did he do for you? How has he shown you his faithfulness? Did he do it the way you expected? May God give us the grace to wait, to hope. Wait and hope in a God who promises to save us from our greatest foe. And that brings us to our third and final point, the promised Savior. We've seen the promised child, the promised mercy, now the promised Savior. It's interesting that Zechariah's pro prophecy actually only contains two lines about his own son, John. Instead, he focuses on someone else's son. But this son is the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Savior God had promised all those centuries before. John is just the one who will go before the Lord to prepare his way. John will give knowledge of salvation, the text says, and as we will see, he'll do it by getting everyone ready for the one who has the power to save. So everyone's here wondering, right? Who is this? Who is this one? Who is this horn of salvation that we expect from the house of David? How will he save us from our enemies? Like we already said, many of them were expecting a deliverance from Roman oppression. But then when they were to learn that this Savior was a poor, wandering Galilean preacher who died at the hands of the Romans, that would be disappointing, to say the least. What happened to God's promised Savior? 
but then they would have missed the whole point, right? The promised Savior came not to deliver them from their immediate situation, but from their sins. This is what Zechariah's prophecy continues to point us to. The Savior that John prepares the way for will lead his people to victory, not over Rome, but over the grave. His prophecy tells us that God's mercy is revealed in bringing salvation, forgiveness, light into darkness, and peace. You see, the real need of Israel at that time wasn't just freedom from Roman rule. It was freedom from their guilt and shame. And this is the plight of all mankind under the curse of sin, you and I. Friends, you will not find fullness of life in this world. And death is the inevitable reality that awaits all of us. And God knows this better than anyone. And in his mercy, he took steps, he took the necessary action to help us, to save us from ourselves. God made the promise and now he has fulfilled it in the coming of Jesus Christ, his son, our savior. The light of the world has has shone into the darkness of our sin and death but it happened in a way that no one was expecting, right? Jesus' death on the cross looked like the ultimate defeat, the ultimate failure. But in fact, it was God's greatest victory because on that cross, Jesus defeated our most vile enemy, sin, by bearing the curse of all of our sins upon himself. He redeemed us from the death penalty that we had earned by our disobedience, And now he lives forever to bring us into an eternity of peace, salvation, forgiveness, light, and peace. If you're here this morning not yet trusting in Christ, I want you to know this. The Lord Jesus is filled with compassionate mercy. You may question why your life is the way it is, but don't pretend that you know it's because God doesn't care. Jesus welcomes anyone who comes to him in humble faith, and he saves. So admit to him that you're a mess. That's all of us. Admit that you need his help, and you will have the promise of his salvation. And those of you who are trusting in Christ, when you're tempted to doubt God's mercy, when you're tempted to run away from him because you're not seeing his goodness, remember the cross. Look to Jesus in faith and behold God's faithful mercy to you, that he died to save you. He was raised to redeem you. And he's not about to give up on you now. And the good news is that he remembers his mercy even when you forget. And so to wrap up, the main point is this. God remembers his promises. 
but he keeps them in unexpected ways. So when you're feeling the weight of your circumstances, when days, months, and even years pass by and you're still suffering, when it seems like God has all but forgotten you, remember that God will always keep his promises. And his promise to you is this. He will count you among his own children. He will bless you with his love and forgiveness. And he will bring you to a heavenly home where your faith will be your sight and you'll know his peace forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we long for that day. We long for that day when we will see you face to face, when we will see your promises fully revealed and kept by you, our faithful God. But until that day, Lord, we need your help. We need your grace and strength to press on, to wrestle with the doubts that that creep in, um, to face the suffering and the pain with patience and endurance. So Lord, fill us with your spirit and help us to look to you in faith, to trust beyond what our eyes can see that you are faithful and good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.